Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. How are we doing at the 11 a.m. today, church? I feel like that was better than normal. So I have high expectations for the next 35 minutes. Um, next week, I told you about this last week, Mind Traps, brand new series I'm beginning. And uh, basically the premise is every bad decision you've made stem from a lie you believed. And I think culturally it's harder to distinguish truth maybe than ever before. And so we're going to practically talk about it for four weeks and how it specifically relates to our life decision making around some of the big questions in life. And so next week that starts. August historically is the best time to invite. Uh, seriously, maybe other, more than any other time of year. It's kind of um, adults, whether you know it or not, are kind of on the kids' school schedule. So next week, um, everybody starts getting back into a rhythm. It's a great time to just 30 seconds of courage, invite somebody to come. And you probably know this, um, 80 plus percent of the people that attend for the first time every week, it happens because of a personal invite. So next weekend, Mind Traps. Today, I'm finishing our two-week series, My Church. And with where I want to go, one of the examples I thought of that for me marked my life was a guy by the name of Charles Ellis. And I was like 16 years old. And usually 16-year-olds do not give a lot of attention to 80-some-year-olds. They should, but they don't. Like generally, those aren't relationships that develop often. And I'll never forget this guy. He's about 6'6". And he just was like the coolest 85-year-old. Um, that I had ever met. And at 16 years old, my whole life at that time was playing basketball. It consumed me. I ate it. I slept it. I breathed it. Like it is everything that um, I loved. It's all I did. And so over the course of time, he started to befriend me and I found out he was a semi-pro basketball player back in the day. And he had the most amazing story. Like I think he played basketball with Naismith. Like that's how old he was at the time. Um, and nobody got that reference at the 9 a.m. either, so there's no basketball fans here. But he was, like, old, and he was it just this incredible guy, though, and he would tell me all these stories about being on the bus and all these cities they would travel and um, that whole experience, and no joke, that he took an interest in my life at 16 years old where, you know, for a lot of 16-year-olds, it's hard to see where they're going, And yet he believed in me in a way that other than like my parents, my dad, I don't think I've ever had anybody believe in me. And no joke, man, it's like God dropped him into my life as a 16-year-old and he gave me a vision, again, other than my dad, of this is the kind of man I want to be. And I think in some ways, and I wouldn't have said it at the time, this is like in retrospect, it, it shaped a part of my life for the next season or couple seasons. Like Charles Ellis Impact, this 85-year-old guy that decided to invest in a 16-year-old punk kid, and he would pray for me every single day. In fact, I found out at the end of his life, like a decade later, that he had prayed for me every single day for that decade. And I'm telling you, no overstatement, I think he shaped my life in a really, really profound way. And one of the things that's interesting, if you're a follower of Jesus or you listen to other people who followed Jesus for a long time, inevitably one of the stories that you'll hear is that they were just kind of living life and it's as if at one strategic part in their journey, God drops somebody into their life at just the right time. 
Like their story will always go, well, then I met this guy, then I met this girl, then I got in this relationship, or then, you know, we were working together. And it was that relationship that became the catalyst for something. Whether it was a lead them back to church, whether it was walking through a dark season and they weren't sure that they could make it and was actually the influence of somebody else that in some ways they credit making it. It was during that season where it gave them hope, where you were, you know, barely clinging to hope. They helped them walk through a huge step of faith. Um, They helped them through a crisis of faith. I mean, whatever it is, it's like, and then that person was dropped into my life and it was exactly what I needed when I needed it. In fact, here's what I'd say, though, if you're not a Jesus follower, you have similar stories just without the God part because relationships have been used in your life, too. It's why what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes I think is relevant to you in a lot of ways. But one of the things that is used in our life as a catalyst for where we want to go, and if you're a Jesus follower, for where God wants us to go, are relationships. In fact, one of the things in this series talking about moving from this just being the church to my church, meaning it becomes personal, it gets your energy, it gets your time, it kind of like you're all in. One of the catalysts for that is community. Like one of the catalysts for that is relationships. In fact, Isn't this the story for some of you? Like you resisted and wanted nothing to do with the church. And then it was one individual in a lot of cases within the church that changed everything for you. Like it wasn't some big global scale. It wasn't like the church, you know, somehow just convinced you. It was this one individual within it. And all of a sudden you move from resistant, don't want anything to do with it. I think they're all nut jobs to I'm a part of one. It starts to feel like family. I belong. And in fact, in some ways it started to change my view of faith because that's the power of relationships. Right? Like that's the power of community. In fact, generally most people come to a relationship with Jesus because of a relationship with one of his followers. That's just how it works. And community is such a big deal. And so what I wanna talk to you about for a few minutes this morning is that one of the things that God wants to use to move you in the direction of his will for your life if you take him seriously or you care about that, One of the things that he's gonna do to get you there is relationships and community. And you have to, and this is the important word, you have to position yourself for it. You're not gonna pray your way there. You're not gonna hope your way there. You're not gonna magically end up there. You have to position yourself there. Now, here's the one caveat though. Here's the prereq. You can get, like, you can, you know, be open to that all day long and get into every kind of, you know, relationship or community group or attend, you know, nine million theology classes and end up no better off than you were when you started. In fact, there is an entire religious church culture, you know, all over the United States and beyond that does that every single weekend. People show up, sing songs, get into groups, they look amazing, and yet they've been stuck for like a decade, Because here's the prereq in terms of God using your relationships or using community in your life. You have to be willing to be known by somebody. You gotta be willing to be known by somebody. And that's hard for us. Like, that's hard for me. Like, I know some of you, you know, because I get up on a stage and I speak, I'm incredibly introverted. My wife is the extrovert. I would be completely content to not see another person today and go home and be by myself. (laughs) Like, that's an overstatement and I love people. But if you're an introvert, you know, like one of the ways I replenish is by not being around people. And then I can be my best around people. That, like, that's just how it works. But I get it, man. I'm resistant to this. Like I, I would rather just kind of do things on my own and specifically around this whole idea of being known by somebody else. Because here's the thing about human psyche. We desire to be known fully by other people. And yet simultaneously, it's the thing we fear the most. Like it's one of the things, in, te- in fact, a lot of times we spend most of our time resisting of I don't want to be full. I want to be known enough to where I have like faux authenticity, like people think I'm real, but I'm not really real. 
Because it just terrifies us to be really known because you know you. You really know you. But we desire to be known even though we fear it. But for a lot of us, here's the direction that life just tends to lead us is we want to be known for something. Like, in fact, maybe you've never thought about this before, but your desire, and I just think, again, this is in the human spirit, this is the image of God in you, you want to be known for something. And you haven't thought about it, but it actually influences a lot of your life. Like, there's things that you haven't identified, and it's influencing your priorities, your time, what you're doing with your kids, how you conduct your relationship, what you post on Instagram, um, what your dreams are for the next season. And you've never defined it, but you have this desire deep in you of what you want to be known for. So that's not bad. In fact, I would even suggest you should ask yourself that question. What do you want to be known for? Like seriously, what's the maybe undefined bullseye on the target you've never even thought about as a 15-year-old or as a 55-year-old or wherever you are in between or older or younger? Like what, what do you want to be known for? Like for me, if I were to really stop and think about it in terms of like the big things in terms of life, what I want people to say at my funeral at the end, I want to be, you know, I want to be a great husband. I want to hopefully a great dad. I want, to, I want to be faithful in terms of what God's called me to do in this life because I think God has a will and a destiny for me just like he does you. And I want to be faithful at that. I want to get to the end and I want to finish well. But what do you want to be known for? And then, then here's the big question I want to lead you toward that will go toward our discussion. What happens when you fail at that? Like what happens when you don't measure up? Because you all want to be known for something and you're not going to hit that target 100% of the time. Like you're not always gonna live up to that. And the big question is, what do you do when you don't measure up and you're not there? Some of you feel that way right now. You're uncomfortable in church because you feel like you have to have it all together and there's a standard that you have for your own life and you feel like you haven't measured up to it. What do you do? And for a lot of us, just kind of the human inclination is we just pretend in that gap. We just excuse, we lie, or we manage our image. I don't know, maybe you wouldn't put it in these terms, but... When you manage your image, you become imaginary. There's no real you. There's no real relationships. There's no real authenticity. It's just, it's just kind of a faux version of you. And you know this also. When you start pretending, you stop growing, don't you? And not just spiritually, any area of your life. You start pretending and acting like you have it together and you stop growing. And yet the downside, and we're talking about this for the next four weeks, like the kind of insidious part of all this is we're most comfortable lying to ourselves than we are to anybody else. Like, isn't it, we will make up narratives of why we do certain things, about why we stay stuck, and then after a while we'll start to believe our own narratives even though they're not true. And we'll, we will stay where we are because we don't wanna really admit where we are. Now, do you, you wanna get vulnerable for just a second? You know who's the worst at this? Pastors terrible at this. And I'm kind of joking, but none of you got that either. So that's fine. I am <laughs> batting a thousand at the 11 a.m. I'm going to scrap every sarcastic comment and joke I have for the rest of this message and just go with it. But honestly, I'm not. Like, and maybe you grew up in church culture where some of this is true, but in, in fact, it's, it's not just religious culture, though I think religious culture is the worst. I think it's any kind of leadership culture, anytime anybody is in a position or on a stage, to the extent that there is a gap between like what you say you believe in your life, you're tempted to pretend. You're tempted to manage the image, you're tempted to excuse, you're tempted to just fake it until you make it. I mean, the level to which for my life there would be a gap between my life and what I believe, there is a temptation, this is just real, to fake it in the gap. In fact, if you were to be honest, some of you only want me to be so real. 
Like one of the things I get all the time is, oh, thank you for being authentic, thank you for being so real, da, 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 da. But the reality is you only want me to be so real. Like if there was really a gap between my life and my faith, say it was in my marriage, and I got up here to go, hey, could you guys just pray for me? Nicole, basically my wife told me, I, I, she's giving me one more shot and I just need you guys. Like you'd be like, that's too real. Like we don't, we don't wanna know that. But that's just the reality. But, but here's the reality for all of us. We all have gaps. Like you have gaps. You, you have, now hopefully not in, at the level of like living with hypocrisy, you're closing the gaps. You're not living this life where I say I believe this, but I, like everything about me is kind of over here and doesn't align at all. And then maybe you're there and there's hope for you. But the reality is we all have gaps between who we are and who we wanna be. And in that gap between who we are and who we wanna be, there is a massive temptation and pressure on you. I'll just say what you feel, to pretend, to act like you have it together, to, to act like you're, you're kind of, you're putting the pieces together and you're all right and you're good and just fake it until you make it. And everything in culture pushes you in that direction. And do you know where all of that temptation is the worst? The church. That should be, and we say this all the time, but I'm hoping this doesn't become cliche to you, should be the safest place in the world or in the community. Anywhere else you could, should go should not be as real as, as this place. It's a movement known as the church to go, I'm not gonna pretend in the gaps. I'm not gonna act like I have it all together. I'm not gonna fake it till I make it. This should be the realest place in the world, the local church because you will never get to where you wanna be until you can admit, and not just admit to yourself, but admit in some kind of community of people, I'm not where I wanna be. There's a gap, and all of us at certain times have gaps. Now, here's this side note real quick. I'm joking, but I'm serious. If you got kids, this is just to be your warning about church, um, and you're trying to manage the gap and just kind of pretend your way through it, don't bring your kids to church because they will expose you every <laughs> single, you have no idea you have no idea what those kids tell small group leaders and CC kids every single weekend. But I do. Like we get the stories every once in a while back at staff and you're like, hey, I gotta tell you, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna name names, but we were in small group and I forget what the question was and we asked this little girl and she just out of nowhere, she's like, hey, my grandma is 92 and like long pause, she just needs to go. And I guarantee you she didn't come up with that on her own. <laughs> and then there was one time, and I had no idea where this question was going, but some kid revealed that he, I don't they were talking about magic tricks, and he had found his parents' handcuffs in one of the closets. <laughs> and they were like, small group is over. We're not asking you any more questions. They will expose you. So you want to lie in church? Leave your kids with a babysitter. Like, don't bring them. <laughs> But it's why, like, in, in all seriousness, one of the huge values for us as a church, hopefully this is why some of you are, have been attracted here, is to just to create a church that is, in some cases, maybe uncomfortably authentic and real and go, th like, this is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. This is what Jesus' ministry looked like when he's inviting everybody that you can imagine to, like, sit on the front row. And they, it was Jesus to Matthew, the tax collector, hey, I didn't even ask you to stop collecting taxes yet, which is, that's a whole cultural thing, but just follow me. Like, that's what the church should be. And that 
the church as a whole should avoid, and we try to do this with everything in us, the country club mentality of the local church where everybody gets dressed up, everybody looks the part, everybody knows the lingo, and they can live a decade in that comfort and stay stuck with what God wants to do in their life. And come on, the invitation to, hey, not get your junk together and come, but just come and watch what Jesus can do if you can get honest over a period of time. That's not an enemy to God changing hearts and lives. That is the catalyst for it. Like your honesty is the only way that's gonna happen. But if we were to be honest, a lot of us, like we spend a lot of times in churches because we're more comfortable where there's a lot of pretense and we know everybody's lying, but we're more comfortable with that. Like that's a little bit easier. It's messier. It's tougher to go. Everybody's invited in. Everybody's got stuff. That's not just stay in it, excuse it, wallow in it, but it is the only way that God is gonna be, begin to be able to transform your life. Because if you're never real with anybody, like if you're in a place where people don't know what you're really like, they don't really like you. They don't really know you. There's no real relationships anymore. And until you embrace where you actually are, maybe this is the only, if you don't get anything else today, you're never gonna move to where you wanna be. You're, if you're a Jesus follower, you're never going to move to the position that God has for you in terms of his will for, his li- for your life. And so you have to position yourself for relationships and for community and for God to do something in your life. And come on, last thing on this part, not the last thing, I'm not done yet. <laughs> isn't that what you're attracted to? Like, isn't that what you're moved by? Like some of you have made the statement of like, man, they were, they're so real and there's something about me that like it's just attracted to that. But in some cases, the reason they felt so real is maybe because the first time in your life you were real. It was like the first time in your life you actually dropped the pretense. Honestly, like this was the thing that attracted me to my, to my wife more than anything else when I met her, where she is the most unpretentious woman I still to date have ever met in my life. Just like, I'm not trying to impress you. I will call you on your crap if I'm in a relationship with you. And that includes me still. But man, there was just such a sense of living with freedom and like, I know exactly who you are and so does everybody else that, I mean, just wildly attracted me to her because I just felt like it was so uncommon. And honestly, it's what we're drawn to, the lack of pretense, the lack of trying to impress, the lack of trying to be somebody that we're not where there's gaps. And that's what God has created us for. That's what God wants to use to move you forward. And in terms of the church, if you care about this, that's the thing that moves the church to suddenly it becomes my church, it becomes personal, it becomes real, you belong. In some cases, it starts to feel like family. Those are the people that show up for you. And the thing is, everything that God talks about in the New Testament that he wants for your life, for our life, it is only gonna happen in the context of relationship. In the West, over the last you know, 100 years especially, and really more than that, we've created a version of religious kind of culture where it can just kind of be us and God. God never created that version. Like what God wants to do in your life is not just about you and God. It's about the other people that God wants to place in your life. In fact, this is what the first pastor in the first century of the first church said, James, who's the brother of Jesus, he knew some stuff. Here's what James said in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And immediately we're like, no, thank you. (laughs) Well, that's a terrifying verse. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. But just real quick, it just kind of emphasizes this whole relational component. Some of you experienced that. Like some of you were dragging around your past for like seven years or 17 and you just couldn't move past it. And you could not take a step and you kept being haunted by it. And you knew all the verses and you knew Romans 8 and God's never gonna forsake you and never gonna leave you. And it was a relationship that God brought into your life that actually was the thing that broke the power of the chains of your past. 
Like it was a somebody, a person that suddenly made all of the words of Jesus come alive and healing began to take place in your life. And you're like, well, yeah, I'll let God know, but that's just code for you don't wanna be known by anybody. And listen, again, I get it. You shouldn't be known by everybody. But I just wanna stress this. For some of you, there is some healing that you're praying for in a lot of cases that you're wondering, that you're desiring and you've been stuck and you can't find that healing and the healing is actually found in the relationships that God wants to place in your life. And come on, I don't know why we fear this so much, but I get it because this has been so much of church culture. But why do we fear this so much? I mean, most of the people you're bumping into, I mean, even today, let's just take this, this audience as an example. Nobody's as pretty as they look. Nobody's, nobody's stories is great as crazy. Have you ever met somebody where you are moved and inspired by their life, their faith, like how they trust God, how they live their life? And you're like, I just, I want that. And you have this illusion that they just came out of the womb following Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like everything in your life is great. They've, I bet they've always trusted like that. And yet I've met so many people like that where I, I'm so inspired and moved. And then I get to really know them and I hear their story and I'm like, what? You did what? You're involved in What? And yet there they are and they have more faith than I can even imagine. And they were the person that God used to inspire me to the next step. And they had all kinds of baggage. And yet at some, some place along the line, usually you'll hear the story, they got into relationship and suddenly they were with somebody and whether it was through their story or their own baggage or just that individual gave them hope or allowed the scripture to come alive, they got to a place to recognize, I got a past, but my past will inform me, it will not define me. It is not greater than God's relentless love and grace. And in fact, they were able to move to a place where they had enough faith to believe that God would actually leverage that path for a better, better future. And they have impacted so many people with their faith, despite the fact they have all kind of crap in the rearview mirror. That's what God wants to do. But in many cases, it's not gonna happen without those relationships. And what you are hiding in most cases is not healing. So James is like, it's gonna happen in relationship with other people and trusted people, I get it. But you've gotta position yourself for it. And then Paul comes along, he says this, church planner, greatest church planner in history in Hebrews 10, 24, and he says, let us consider how we may spur, inspire, urge, encourage. Like this is like life on life. This isn't do it from a distance. This is I'm close enough to inspire and be moved by you and vice versa inspire or spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And I think you should have all kinds of relationships in your life. In fact, I'm a massive proponent of that. One of the things that I, I would see in other pastors, this isn't a criticism, but like just, uh, just an observation when I started this whole thing is within five years, they didn't know anybody that wasn't a follower of Jesus. And so a huge part of intentionally our circle, my wife and I is, is obviously a ton of Jesus followers we're friends with and then agnostics and atheists and people that like believe completely different things and we are good friends with them. Love them. It's just people made in the image of God. Loved by God, we love them. We're friends with them. But what I would also say is there are gonna be two or three people in your life, like the closest relationships that are either gonna inspire you to grow in your faith and toward God's will and destiny for your life or they're gonna hinder it. I'm talking about those closest relationships. Like, just kind of side note for a second, side question. Think about some of your journey. For most, not all of you, but some of you, your greatest regret did not happen in isolation. True? 
Like, I know that was too personal. Your greatest, you don't need to raise your hand or say anything. Your greatest, you're like, yes, me. Your greatest regret for a lot of you, it, it didn't happen alone. Like there were other people with you. There was a somebody else with you. Like generally we don't get in trouble in isolation. It's always with a group. There's always a somebody. And the relationships that are closest to your life are either going to inspire you, spur you on, encourage you, or they're gonna move you in another direction because this is what's true of all of us. You will not drift in the direction that you wanna go. You will not drift in the direction of who you want to be, whether that's just in terms of life or in terms of your faith. Nobody just gets up one day and accidentally is like, I've just become extraordinary, <laughs> right? You, don't, you drift in directions where you can get up 12 years down the road and go, man, what was I doing? How did I ignore that? How did I miss that? But you don't, you don't drift in the directions of who you wanna be. And so Paul's like, you've gotta position yourself to be inspired, to be challenged. Other people around you to have faith when you don't have faith, maybe teach you how to pray, to dream big, to love people, to move in the direction of all that God has called you to. But you have to position yourself for that. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together, which is why as much as I love all that happens online and thousands of people through radio, which is absolutely incredible. Not everybody's able, but if you're able, it's why there is no replacing life on life, in person, as a gathering, as a movement, because God wants to do something through those relationships. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but, what's the word? Let's try that again. But what? Encouraging one another, close proximity, life on life, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And there's a huge theological idea to that, but I think there's also a personal, really relevant application for that, and it's just this. There are things coming in your life that you don't see. Like, there are things that are coming up ahead, and because you're not God and you don't know the future, you are not prepared for them. And God, in his grace, this is why he's called the good shepherd throughout the scriptures, and he says, I wanna lead you, and I wanna lead you in directions and towards paths that you can't even see right now because you don't know the obstacles up ahead, but I know them. And one of the things that God is gonna use to prepare you for what's ahead is relationships around you, but for things that you can't even see yet. And so your willingness to position yourself now is actually positioning yourself under God's hand to go, I'm gonna lead you and I'm gonna give you exactly what you need when you need it, but you gotta trust me. And for some of you, you know that story. I think early in our marriage and my wife and I went through a specifically a year and a half journey and she's very open about this with mental illness and, and what we had to walk through. And it was not until years later that I looked back at the year or two before that and the fact that by God's grace, we had positioned ourselves in some places where we were just open to what God wanted to do in relationships in our life. And there is no doubt in my mind that God led some people into our life. And humanly speaking, I don't know how we would have made it through that season without them. And I didn't know that was coming. And Nicole didn't know that was coming but we positioned ourselves and by God's grace and God's sovereignty, he led exactly who we needed into our life when we needed it several years before we ever got to that place because he knows what's coming. And so he says, don't give up meeting together. And then Paul writes this to Galatia in Galatians 6, 1. He says, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, if someone is caught in a sin, or basically they just get stuck in life and we have all been there or you are there, or you're gonna be there. And you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And by the way, this is not like a hierarchical thing. Like, let's just be real for a second. There are times in your life where you're caught in sin, 
and you need somebody else to go, hey, you're off the rails, man. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And then there's other seasons where you're over here and things are good and you're tracking in a good direction and somebody else is stuck. This is not like everybody's got it together at all times. But again, for some of you, you've experienced this dynamic, right? Where you got entrusted relationship. And I say this all the time, but it's, I'm gonna repeat it again. This is not the version of church where everybody becomes the moral police for everybody else. That is unbiblical. You will not find that in the New Testament. I've said this before and it sounds a little harsh, but I'm gonna say it again. If I don't know you, I'm probably not listening to you because there are people in my life who are trusted, who have earned the right to speak and the same is true of you. And so this is within trusted relationship. And some of you have been in that place where something starts to go off the rails and there's somebody who loves you and you trust enough where they spoke into your life to go, man, this is not gonna end well for you. And I love you enough not to judge you. I just wanna restore you. I just wanna help you out of this. I don't wanna see you stay in this place. Or your story would be somebody walked with me through just a season where there was so much crap and them walking with me was actually the reason that my faith was restored or I was able to maintain faith. So he's like, if you're caught in sin, restore each other gently. And then verse two, I love this verse. And carry each other's what? Burdens. Burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, I love this. Paul talks about so brilliantly. It's all been summarized in this. I want you to love God. And the way that you love God most profoundly is to love other people. The way that you love God most profoundly is to carry other people's burdens. The whole Old Testament system or much of our church culture that says, well, I'm good with God. I checked the box. I read the thing. I sang the song. I sat in the seat. I went to the whatever. We're good. Jesus would come along and say, no more. If you wanna know if you're good here, not in terms of relationship, God's never gonna leave you, never gonna forsake you, but in terms of you loving and following Jesus, the extent to which you are authentic in that relationship is borne out in the horizontal about how well you are loving, caring for, and carrying the burdens of other people around you. That is the law of Christ. In fact, Paul would say, Everything, all the rules are summarized in that. If you're doing that, you're doing everything that I've called you to. And again, at a human level, some of us have walked through this. There are some burdens, there are some weights that we're not designed to carry on our own. And you've got God and Jesus is never gonna leave you or forsake you, but for whatever unknown reason, God has used human relationship as his means for accomplishing his will. And there are some people in your life that God wants to drop to help bring you through. And again, there's been some people like Kevin God dropped in my life at just the right season when there was so much lack of clarity about what was next, like more than normal. And it was such a struggle to maintain faith and trust that God was gonna be in that. And I just remember him saying to me, look, you can't control any of the, any of the future. And, and for the first time in your life, at that point in my life, you've hit a major bump where you've gotta open your hands and you've gotta trust God and so obey him, trust him with the consequences. And I'm telling you, without him speaking into my life multiple times in that season, I don't know where my faith would be. I don't know how I would have made it through that season. So he says, I want you to position yourself to care, be, have others carry your burdens. But then the flip side of this, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you open to doing this for somebody else? Like for some of you, the very past that hindered you and held you back for so long is the very thing that God wants to leverage in other people's lives. And you're not gonna do it just sitting in a row. This is amazing. I think this is a part of what God's ordained. Scripture talks about gathering together, worshiping, coming around the scriptures, but this is not all there is. And there are some things that you've walked through. There are some hurts. There are some struggles. There's some experience. There's some wisdom that God has uniquely given you to give to somebody else to carry their burdens.
And you are not going to do it until you move from consumer mentality of the local church to be all in to go, I'm going to position myself for others to carry my burdens when I need it. And I'm going to position myself to carry somebody else's burden when God calls me to do it. Because that's the body of Christ and that's what it looks like to fulfill the law of Christ. So he says, carry each other's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. And then last verse, Paul brilliantly, brilliantly pens it this way, Romans 15, 7. And accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Like this should be the movement and the message of the local church. Accept one another then. Just as who accepted you? Not your mother-in-law. Not your friend. Not the individual that you legitimately wounded and hurt. Not the other people that represented Christianity for you for a while. Not those individuals. I want you to accept one another as Christ has accepted you, and that ultimately is gonna th- be the thing that brings worship and praise to God more than anything else. And this is just a side note that wasn't even my notes, so I just wanna talk about it for a second. This is what kills me about the current cultural moment of people literally planting churches around homogenous ideas where they'll, they'll just literally cater a church to where people who vote the same way, think the same way, have the same religious background. And I think that demeans and offends Jesus in terms of his att- intent and vision for the local church. The uniting factor for the local church was never how you vote. It was never about nation specific. It was never about your religious background. It was never about peripheral theological issues. It was not about socioeconomic status, race, culture, still the most segregated time in the United States of any other time is the time when the church gets together on the weekend. That was never supposed to be the church. The church was to be united by one singular thing, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And to the extent that we pursue that is the extent to which we pursue the heart of God because that's what Christians in the first century did. Jews, Greeks, those who were Samaritans, women, children who had no value in that culture, slave, free, those marginalizing culture. And literally those in the first century would stand on the outside of the church and go, how in the world do these people get along? None of them look the same. None of them have the same skin tone. None of them have the same background. None of them even had the same belief systems. They're all at different socioeconomic statuses. How in the world are these people united as one? But it's what Jesus prayed in John 17. They were united as as one because the power of the gospel and Jesus being at the center of everything is more powerful than anything else. And we should seek with everything in us to be the church that is at the heart of God's heart. Multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter what you come in with. We don't really care how you vote. It, we're, this is not about one nation. There is one kingdom above every kingdom that's gonna rule and reign forever. And all of this is going away. So let's get used to working together in unity around Jesus being at the center of it all because that's what we're going to do for all of eternity. That is the local church. Accept one another the way that God accepted you in Christ. And the more different you are, the more profound and powerful it is. The fact that some of us can only relate to other Jesus followers that line up with all of our beliefs theologically and culturally is offensive to the heart of God. Accept one another the way that God has accepted us in Christ. And do you know where you, are, you feel that acceptance more than anything else? When you are around and in communication with in deep relationship with other people who are committed to and open 
to the transformational acceptance of God. And when you get enough people who are around that, God can do extraordinary things through movements and cities and communities and beyond to attract people to that kind of environment and that kind of culture. Because again, for some of you, that's your story. You heard all the verses. You knew what Jesus said. You'd grown up in church. Somebody did flannel graph with you at seven. And it was a relationship with another individual that awakened you to the fact that you are fully known and you are fully accepted. And that right now, wherever you are, I don't even know you, you are in the middle of just so much dysfunction. The gospel says that if you're in Christ, you are loved right there. You are accepted fully right there because you're made in the image of God. And you are secure in Christ right there. And you are worthy, not because your behavior is worthy, but because Jesus is and Jesus has done something on your behalf. And suddenly the insecurity starts to fall away and your past begins to have far less power and you begin to be awakened to the transformational acceptance of Jesus. And honestly, more than anything else for our church or for you, that's what I want for you. Like that's what I desire for you. And you have to position yourself for that. You have to put yourself in that place. And I'm telling you, if, if you do it for long enough, the church will begin over time to become my church, my family. In some cases, my lifeline. When I walked through a season that was unbelievably dark and those were the people that showed up for me. And when you position yourself for real community, I mean, that's when I'm just, again, we can't manufacture it. We can't do it our, ourselves. You just have to position yourself. God will drop people in your life when you need them at just the right time. And you didn't have hope to keep going. It was just somebody else in that community had hope for you. And you didn't think you could take that step of faith that God had been asking you to take for like three months or 13 years. And yet somehow it's like they had the faith to help you initiate that step anyway. You're walking through a relational bump that you didn't see coming. And it was, it was that relationship, those relationships that helped you move through that was there for you when you had a crisis of faith, when you had a decision that was paralyzing you or you had a career move that was positive but you weren't ready for it, or was that relationship that God just seemed to drop in your life at just the right time and suddenly you were awakened to the gospel and the transformational acceptance of Jesus. And I'm just telling you, all of that happens when you are willing to be known by somebody. And that's why I just wanna encourage you, if you're a part of our church or you're taking a step to be a part of our church to go, I'm all in, we got to keep trying to create this together. There is a hunger for it in our city and our community and way beyond, but it requires every single individual to go, I'm not just going to be known for, I'm going to be known by. It, we have to together resist the country club mentality of church and be okay with the messiness and be okay with the, I'm struggling, but this is the safest place in the world to struggle with anything. And the church should be the primary place where that should happen. Because come on, I don't even know you, but I just know you need that. I just know I need that. That's why from the beginning we created a church of, let's just create a church for people like us, which is we're moving in the direction of Jesus, but we do not have it all together. And a church that is leading people toward the reality that they can be fully known and fully loved and that will be the thing that inspires change because that's what Jesus was about. That's what the church is about. That's what the gospel is about. And if enough people do that, though we can't manufacture that, here's what will happen we will begin to create a community and a movement where there is a bunch of unpretentious people, genuine friendships, not lame church friendships. Hey, how you doing, how you doing, how you doing? Good, 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 fine, see you next week. 
and authentic faith. And so one of the ways that we've done that, like one of the most practical ways is through what we call community groups. And again, let me just be clear. Community groups are things that we do semester basis. They meet about eight, 10, some 12 weeks, depending with a group of people where you go from hundreds to like maybe 10. And we, we, with everything in us, they're not even primarily like, we have a lot of classes that we do and uh, people are incredibly like theologically, a lot of understanding that you can get into. These are primarily based around prayer, obviously scripture, but it's, a, it's relationally driven. And for some who are not ready to take that commitment, we have three weeks where just take a step for three weeks, give it a try, watch what God does. But here, here's what I just wanna tell you. Community groups does not necessarily mean community. You get a community group for 10 weeks and just eat dessert for 10 weeks, end it, not be any better off than you were before, but you're 10 pounds heavier. Like, just because you get in a community group, and some of you have been to those, like, doesn't, and you get a community group and go, like, I love all these people in Jesus, but I can't stand any of them, or they're weird, or I don't connect, and that's fine. There's other, you weren't created to connect with every single individual, but you have got to position yourself and take a step. So I just wanna encourage you around this one thing because this series is intensely practical. In two weeks, August the 13th is when our groups launch for the fall. And I just wanna encourage you to take a step. For some of you, the big, massive, move mountain step of faith for you is I'm gonna get in a three-week group and I'm gonna come two of the three weeks. And if you do that, you'll be ahead of a bunch of other people and go, I'm just, I'm gonna at least take a step. And God's not gonna do anything in that three weeks. I'll just tell you, usually. But it's a step and you've got to initiate something. And for others of you, you're going to make the big commitment. I'm going to get in a group and I'm going to watch what God does over these months. And you can't just try it one time. You can't just try it two times. You've got to position yourself and your life for this, for God to do something. And I'll just tell you, I get that you're busy. I understand you have a million things. You're driving your kids to 400 things. You've got stuff in a relationship. Job is busy right now. You've got this other stuff that like, it's hard to give that up. I get, you're doing a million things. You're going a million miles an hour. You don't have time for this. But here's what I tell you. The imaginary you doesn't have time for this. The you that's managing the gap between where your faith really is and where your faith wants to be, that you doesn't have time for this. You just keep managing the gap. You can just being imaginary. You can get a decade down the road and go, all those things kind of faded away. But I wish I would have been rooted in something that would have helped move me in the direction that ultimately I wanted to be and God wanted me to be. And come on, you're not gonna to get to come back to this moment. And the imaginary you doesn't have time for this. The real you, the you that wants to full on follow Jesus, which is some of you that wants to know, God, what is your will? What is your destiny for my life? Help me through this. The you that knows there is stuff coming in your life and there is no way that you can be ready for it or aware of it now, that you is dying for this. And you have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea what God wants to do. And we can't program it, we can't manufacture. All we can do is set the stage, set the table. And then you take a step to position yourself and watch what God does in the gap. But I'll tell you with some moral authority, I've done this for a long, long time. I grew up in this. I have no idea where my faith would be without the community that God has consistently dropped in my life at just the right time, but it's because I positioned myself for it. And God has used those people to direct my life and give me a vision for my life more than anything else. And so everybody wants to be known for something. You wanna be known for something. I wanna encourage you in this next season, maybe for the first time in your adult life, to be known by someone. Because the current of our culture is not gonna help you or take you in the direction of where you wanna be. But if you'll position yourself 
If you'll get real and stop pretending, your faith might become more real than you ever imagined before. So would you guys all over the house and online and via radio right now, would you just pray with me? And God, this is one of those messages where the, the step is pretty clear, but clarity doesn't necessarily lead to action. And I get, man, there is so much resistance. There is in my own life. Like it's easy, maybe sometimes easier for me to play this game than anybody. And so I just pray that where we are met with so many excuses and so many obstacles, this would maybe be the moment you start to tear some of those down. And that somehow the clarity that you're giving some of us in this moment, that can easily get lost by talking ourselves out of it. It's gonna get busy, school starting in a week and a half. They're starting another semester of college, just so much stuff. I just pray that what seems so clear in this moment, you would not let them lose. And that this might actually be the spirit of God prompting them and leading them toward the very thing that they're gonna need the most in this next season. So God, give us the courage to do what you're asking us to do in this moment. Help us to be a church that would move uncomfortably sometimes in the direction of real community, authentic faith and relationships, genuine friendships, and be a church where full acceptance, fully known, with a view toward transformative power, the Spirit of God in our life. But that's only gonna happen when we acknowledge where we actually are and create a place where everybody's comfortable to do that together. And so move in this place, do your thing, give us courage, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.